everyone, this is Mengfei Li from Beijing, China. Now, welcome to our brand new episode of The Missing Piece. Well, the die is cast. Joe Biden is going to bring his troop to the White House in 2021. Putting the politics aside, I think more people are greatly concerned about international relations from this economic standpoint. The trade war or the new Cold War, the deadlock brought economic pressure to many. Actually, a lot of nations were affected per se. What are the economic expectations in 2021 under President Biden? Will people on both sides cheer for the joint effort again after the cold talk for a while? I have one honorable guest today to join our show. Ben Schobert is the author of the book entitled Blaming China. It might feel good, but it won't fix America's economy. In addition, for six years, he wrote a column for the Asia Times on U.S.-China policy matters. Ben's work has been featured at CNBC, China Business Review, Fortune Magazine's China, Harvard Asia Quarterly, and many more. He has appeared on a number of international TV programs, including CNN, CNBC, and ABC World News. Ben, welcome back to our show. Well, thank you for having me again. Well, Ben, let's get started. You know, as I mentioned before, just in a few weeks, America is going to embrace or welcome this new chapter under the new administration. However, at this moment, people from both sides, and specifically businessmen from both sides, are still greatly concerned about the economy and how we're supposed to bring this talk back on the table. So from your perspective, what do you think will be the reasons for both sides to reopen the conversation, especially on economic perspective? Yeah, um, it's a good question. I, I think both in the United States and in China, um, in the business community, there is a sense that things are close to getting out of hand. Um, and I, I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, the business community in particular, uh, obviously needs to be sensitive to politics. So the Chinese business community needs to be sensitive to domestic political concerns. Uh, but the American business community also has the same uh, set of concerns. Uh, I, so I think there's going to be uh, more of an appetite to, you know, have a quieter conversation uh, with the Chinese government around some of the long-standing uh, grievances that the Trump administration was much more vocal about, was much more aggressive about. I do think it's important to, to not uh, come into the Biden administration expecting for a fundamental shift in the actual positions of the American administration in relationship uh, to China. Um, I think the Biden administration, and I talk about this at length in my book, you know, the Biden administration and it has many of the same grievances uh, with China and, as the Republican Party. And so I think now you have both Democrats and Republicans in the United States who have a list of anxieties about how the U.S.-China relationship is being managed. Um, they have very specific concerns around market access, around IP, things that your listeners will be very familiar with. 
so I, I think if we reflect on the Biden administration, what my expectation is, is that you will, you'll see a change in tone because I think the Biden administration will be more coordinated. Mm. Um, you'll hear, you'll hear statements from much more traditional, uh, parts of an administration, the, the vitriol and the anger will be toned down, which is good. I think that helps both countries hear one another. But structurally, I actually think the Biden administration is probably going to hold to a number of the decisions uh, that the Trump administration had put in place. Um, and I think that's likely to surprise some people. Yeah, Ben, I'm very glad you mentioned that because ju just like what I said before, under President Trump, that China was not only the target, but also a threat to the economy on growth and also to the job creations in America. And of course, based on his rhetoric and based on his description, the reason why um, um, there are so many people were unemployed um, before COVID-19 happened is because countries like China they have been taking advantage of the opportunities in America. But now, under this new administration, I think the uh, um, the cliche or the traditional question I want to ask is, how much do you think that this Biden administration is going to undo that what Trump uh, created or have, uh, has done in the past four years in terms of actually motivating or bringing this uh, incentive back to America or to American people to understand that China might not, it's not actually the problem because we need each other at this moment in order to create a greater business opportunities or in, in um, going back to uh, rejuvenize this economy in the U.S. Well, I mean, you've already heard, I think, early signal that tells us how the Biden administration is going to approach the question that you're asking. So, you know, we, we've already heard, um, you know, informally that the Biden administration is likely not going to wind down uh, the phase one trade deal. Um, they're going to try and renegotiate that. Um, so that that would suggest to me that, you know, there's still a perception in the Biden administration that being tough on China is going to pay political dividends. Um, and I'm gonna, I want to return to that because I think that's a really important point. Um, and then I think you, you also have to uh, you know, take into account the fact that the, the Biden administration is going to be wrestling with some very significant economic headwinds in the United States. There's, there's um, you know, the, the aftermath of COVID and the economic dislocation that it has led to uh, is going to have some, you know, very significant consequences that we may start to feel, you know, over the over the next two years. And the significance of the timing of when the United States feels those those economic pressures could be significant because in two years we'll have the midterm elections. That that's going to add, you know, further reason to the Biden administration to be perceived as being tough and tough on China. Um, especially if they're not making a lot of progress with the Republican Senate, with the, with the House on any sort of additional stimulus or other structural reforms to help you know the average American family. I, I, I want to circle back though to the first point that I made about you know how the Biden administration, uh, why why they're going to try and renegotiate the Phase One trade deal mm. um, as opposed to um, you know you know trying to take a more 
more more, more a conciliatory approach to China. Right. And and what I what I think is important for your listeners to keep in mind is that you know in the United States there is a lot of anxiety over some long-standing issues around income inequalities, uh, around you know what the set of economic policies should be to provide a better future for the next generation of Americans. And there is no clarity on that. There's, there's no consensus on that. And there's a lot of anxiety because a, a number, a, quite a few Americans fear that you know the next generation is going to face a set of challenges that are going to be uh, not just insurmountable, but are going to result in a, a diminished view of the American uh, future. And so I think when you put yourself in the shoes of the Biden administration, and, and frankly, any uh, American administration over the course of the next you know, 10 years, the question is always going to be, which is easier? You know, is it easier to say that the problem in the American economy is globalization generally, the U.S.-China relationship specifically, or are there deeper structural issues in the United States economy, you know, our tax code, you know, how we um, more or less reinforce some of the economic inequalities that our country struggles with? The, the latter is the much, much more difficult issue to deal with the United States. And so there's going to be a political bias to take the easier of those two paths. And the easier path is to blame China. Mm. Well, Ben... And again, as I said in the, I said in the last time we talked, I, there's, there's plenty of things in the U.S.-China relationship that need work. Mm. I, I don't want to come across as someone who thinks that you know, you know, there, there's not real, real issues that we need to be working through. Right. I just think as an American, my bias is to start with the problems that I think we have the most ability to actually fix. And those are the ones that are in our own house. Right. Well, Ben, again, looking at from this political lens, I think right now the Republicans and Democrats, in terms of fixing the economy, neither side is willing to barge at this moment. I mean, they're, they're constantly making deals or they're looking for compromise. But I think a, the more time they're spending on this negotiation or on spending on this making compromise, and the worse for the, for the American people, especially the middle class. Because, again, if the people, they can place their trust in their leaders, not only the local, but also the government, the federal government, to fix this economic issue... How can people expect that they are going to um, deal with foreign relations or they are going to deal with country like China can be in a more effective way? I think this is the problem is, again, is because we spend so much time um, negotiating or making compromise, but there's only talk, but it's hard to come to the result, isn't it? It is, and I think, I think some of this is because you know, in, in right now, the sort of reforms that the United States wants to see China make um, are, are perceived in China as uh, going too far um, and, and going too far on matters that uh, the Chinese government has decided they can't yield on. Uh, you know, America has a different view on this. America thinks that not only can China yield on those topics? But if they were to yield, um, they'd result in a more uh, resilient version of China. Um, but I think if you're going to make that argument to the Chinese government, if you're in the shoes of the Biden administration, you're going to make that argument uh, to China. 
the best way to make that argument is by pointing back at your own political system, at the reforms that you're making, how that's improving the quality of life of the average American family. And the problem right now is that that sort of moral or intellectual high ground that at one point in the in the immediate aftermath of the of the Cold War, the United States commanded that moral high ground. We don't anymore. Now, I happen to believe that America can can get back to a place where we can we can say, you know, our model has some inherent advantages. There is an elasticity, that openness and you know, allowing people to express dissent and our view on diversity, there are significant advantages that that creates to a society. Right now, it's difficult for the United States to make that argument. And we're seeing in COVID, you know, we're seeing another version of that problem, right? The United States has 5% of the world's population, and we have somewhere around 25% of the world's fatalities. So if you are right now in the United States, you're not in a good position to lecture anyone about how and why our political system is superior. So my own view, if you take a step back and think about the kind of broad conversation that you and I have had, the first podcast we recorded together and again today, the broad challenge that I take away is, you know, I, again, I happen to believe that the American system has some inherent advantages. The best way, though, to prove that is not to negotiate with the Chinese government over reforms that we want to see you make. The best way is for us to evidence that we have, in fact, a superior system of government, that it creates inherent advantages, and use our success to try and draw China closer towards a version of collaboration, Mm. shared values, that we, in turn, can work on together. Right. Well, Ben, right now, if we look at how the world is running today strategically, we know China plays a critical role since the um the uh, the grand strategy or the implementation of One Belt One Road initiative. Along Southeast Asia, many countries are actually supporting this project, and also the countries in Europe, like Italy. You know, they join this agreement and they join this accord, hoping that this project is able to bring greater benefits to the world. Meanwhile. U.S. also is on the way to create a separate project to the outside or internally. It looks like it's a real competition with the One Belt, One Road initiative. So, Ben, from your perspective, is it really necessary to do that? Because, I mean, why can't we just have this attitude to say, hey, it's not the project. I'm interested. You know, I'm going to leave it alone. However, that's not really the case for the U.S. The U.S., I think, is trying to say, no, we have a better deal or we can actually attract more partners from this economic or even for this um, long term strategy. So can really can put China on the side, regardless how big or how uh, powerful or overwhelming can be. What do you think? Well, I think competition, you know, is is in general can be a good thing, right? So I think, you know, to the extent the United States and China are competing in these areas, that's not all bad. Now, I think the, the question is, you know, if you are, one of the questions I should say is, 
if you are one of the countries that is involved on the BRI and you have an offer from China and you have a counter offer from the United States or from some Western consortium of, of uh, you know, Western countries, I, I, I think, you know, beyond looking at the, the actual financial terms, you're also looking at which of these two systems of government um, you want to be closer to. Right. And so I think I think this again, you know, I think competition can be good. Um, there's 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 healthy forms of conversation and there's very unhealthy forms of competition. I do. I do. Again, I go back to what we were just talking about. My sense is that if you are a country that's making a decision between, you know, going down the direction of the BRI and the influence that will come through China as a result of that, and kind of contrasting that to the a Western offer, whether that's from the United States or from the Euro- European Union, th- there's a question around which of those two uh, um, countries and the ideals they represent, the forms of government they represent, you want to be closer to. Mm. And again, I go back to what we were just talking about. Like, ultimately, yes, the financial terms will have a significant say. But in that moment, when a leader is making a decision between those two paths, the other thing that's going to be determinative is which of the countries, China versus the United States, has a political system that is generating a better return to its people, is creating more stability, is, is putting in place new social stabilizers to allow average families to navigate times of significant change and turmoil. That is, to me, again, that all goes back to not just a conversation about the BRI, but about what are the people in power in Beijing and what are people in power in Washington, D.C., doing to demonstrate through the actual outcomes of average families in their countries that their model of government is superior. Well, Ben, when I turn on the news in the morning... And if, especially if you pay attention to COVID-19, I don't know about you, but it's still, I don't want to use the word traumatized, but it still saddens me that the COVID-19 is still having this impact on the country today. And of course, there are more people because the COVID-19, they lost their jobs and also they um, even lost the, um, the the will or the desire to look for jobs or even hoping that jobs will come back or they're going back to work. Again, we're talking about the middle class. So from your perspective, how do you think the American government, especially under this new administration, is going to implement um, real or uh, realistic or practical ways to help American people to say, you need to go back to work or there, there will be jobs available. This is only temporary. So how do you think the government should restore the faith back to American people? Well, I think you need some sort of, you know, stimulus. Um, obviously, there's a stimulus bill that's being negotiated uh, right now. Um, so I think that's that's definitely the case. Um, I direct towards the actual um, American families, the better. Um, and so what I mean by that is in, in you know, previous, um, stimulus offers have been focused on stabilizing business and that's certainly an important factor, but I think right now we need to really try and make sure that the stimulus is as directed to individuals and families so they can pay their rent, their utilities, their food, their healthcare. Those are the sort of things that we need to make sure we're taking care of. Um, and I actually think that, you know, that will in turn, allow those families to support 
the businesses and their communities and the businesses that have been providing them with essential services. So I think it's it's about making sure the stimulus is very directed at, at families. And then I think, you know, the 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 what, what comes after that, I think at some level has to be a function of how quickly the vaccine is distributed across the United States mm. and how quickly we start to see uh, some sort of change in, um, you know, the, the amount of public health uh, crises that we're navigating. If we, if we find the vaccine gets distributed, if we find that the efficacy rates continue to hold at where they're at, um, you know, you may not need a, yet another round of stimulus, or you might be able to be much more targeted. Um, and so I think, you know, that that will have to be a little bit nimble. Um, and I think for a lot of Americans, what they're hoping is that uh, Republicans and Democrats can approach that question in a bipartisan manner. Mm. Um, I fear, I fear that that's going to be very difficult to actually accomplish. Right. Well, Ben, the next question, I want to go back to the leadership in uh, in America today. You know, Donald Trump, surely he was not born into this politician family. And even though before being the president and he used to hang out with all these politicians for a while and until he um, was confident enough to uh, join this political race. But if if we look deeper that he's a businessman and he's constantly looking looking for deals um, uh, for himself or even for the country. But right now, the country is going to go back to this politician type or politician period because Joe Biden was the president, uh, was the vice president under President Obama for eight years. So how do you think that people will say, hey, listen, the businessman was the um, the president and he was able to bring jobs back to the uh, uh, to people, and he actually created more jobs. And regardless what you say, but right now, this politician, people are so worried and concerned to say, do you think this going to going to, he's going to be as effective as Donald Trump? Ultimately, from this business or economic perspective, how do you think that Joe Biden is going to build a confidence? among the voters and that's number one and number two is right now we're we're still looking at the um projected uh, people joining his administration in especially for COVID 19 or um for um economic uh, uh, a team and or cabinet how do we know that joe biden really knows what he's doing at this moment because again um it's two different style right one is politician and one was a businessman well, I think so. I think number one, I I, I think I, I would I would quibble with the idea that Donald Trump was a businessman. I mean, he he certainly inhabited the persona of a businessman, but by all uh, by all estimates that we can actually validate, you know, he inherited a, a very large uh, you know enterprise from his or real estate holdings from his father and more or less every business that he's tried to stand up, um, he's failed at. Mm. So I, I quibble, I quibble with this idea that he was some great businessman. I think what he did was he did enact a series of reforms that business was very amenable to, right? He, he was, um, you know, very good about tearing down the, um, a lot of the regulatory issues that had been, perceived by business as inhibiting uh, investment. 
Um, he aggressively reformed the tax code to the benefit of uh, business. And, you know, there were some downstream um, improvements there. However, however, if you look at the underlying challenges the United States is still struggling with, income inequality, cost of health care, cost of child care, cost of education, all of these things, you know, as experienced, as paid for by a working class family in America, things have continued to get worse. They have not gotten better. And so I think, you know, a Biden administration is going to be perceived as being less business friendly because it's a Democratic administration. Now, the Biden administration, Biden is very much um, a product of the kind of left of center Clinton era view of, of liberalism. So I think he's going to be probably fairly amenable to business. I don't think he's going, you know, he, the Democrats did not nominate someone like AOC or Bernie Sanders. And so I do, I don't think he's going to be, you know, positioned to go after business in the way that some conservatives are going to portray him at. But will he be as, as open to anything that business is asking for out of D.C.? as the Trump administration was? No, he's not going to be. Um, but I, but the, again, I think the question is whether or not that's actually good. And the, the comparison that I think we need to give ourselves is if you look at American history, there was a period from 1890 to 1920 hmm. called the Progressive Era. And in the Progressive Era, there, were, there was a very similar set of challenges to what the United States is navigating now. There were profound issues on income inequality there were profound issues with, you know, essentially barons that had monopolies on energy, on transportation, rail at the time. And these monopolies were resulting in significant challenges around developing a thriving middle class. And you saw in the progressive era, you saw people like Teddy Roosevelt, you know, l- listen to the challenges of the average American family and then triangulate and say this is actually a political position that I can I can take where I can do I can take a strong position against business and do something around and at that time trust busting as it was called hmm. break up these monopolies and make sure, and try and make sure that some of the economic gains that are going to the Rockefellers and the Carnegies and the Vanderbilts of the world that those get distributed down to the families who work in those enterprises there's a similar opportunity to do something like that now in the United States. And the, the narrative will be that, that the person who does that is going to be bad for business. That's, that may very well be a successful political narrative. The question is going to be whether or not that candidate, that politician, whether it's Biden or not, is an open question, but whether or not they are actually effective at trying to create – um, a, a better economic system that distributes some of the gains that are going to the 1% in America down to average working families. Again, that will be popularly understood in the very short term as being hostile to business. And Biden, the Biden administration may very well suffer if they try and adopt those kind of policies. But the goal is not necessarily to harm business. It's to help working American families. Hmm. Well, Ben, I want to take a uh, approach to a new question is lately I've been having some um, conversation with a lot of my friends. Actually, they are working for a lot of major companies in China and um, some of them, they're in the oil industry. 
and some of them they are in this tech industry. Now, I was informed precisely that a lot of companies are actually being put on the sanction list by the U.S. government because of this. Um, whatever you call it, you can call it a deadlock or you call it a disagreement. But for many reasons, for many purposes, these companies they are on the sanction list, and they are very disappointed and and even come to the word is desperate to look for the solutions to get away from this. Now, how do you think this is going to be a play out for for Joe Biden? I mean, again. How do you think he's going to have this better explanation, or send um liaison, or you know, or someone to really to um build this trust back to the um the Chinese company to say, of course things are not good or things not fair, but America is still the land of opportunities, and we're still embrace or welcome overseas uh, adventures or overseas companies continue to invest in America. Well, he may not. I mean, I think again, as I said earlier on our time together today, you know, the Biden administration's positions in many cases are going to be very similar to the Trump administration. I think the difference will be、um, the Trump, or excuse me, the Biden administration will be、uh, much more conventional in terms of the channels that they use to communicate very hard、uh, lessons or hard statements to China, but not many. Uh, of the positions are probably not going to be uh, uh, adopted. You know, the 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 era of China hands in the U.S. diplomatic corps has changed, and that is a broad and bipartisan change. And so, right now, I think we are at a bit of an impasse. And right now, you know, there is. There is going to be a certain unwillingness on the part of the American government to、uh, avoid a lot of hard questions、uh, in in the U.S.-China relationship. You know, the the tech comment that you made is a good example. You know, China very deliberately puts in place market access challenges that limit what a lot of American and other Western technology companies can do in China. In the United States and Europe, the European Union do not have those same market access challenges. So I think those issues are not going to go away.、Um, I think they're going to, you know, they're going to have to be resolved. And you know, I think if you're,、um, you know, if you're in, if you're in Washington、uh, right now, it's a very safe position to draw a very strong line in the sand with China about this. And I also think that you know, China has a similar point of view. Um, that these are things that are not going to be—they're、uh, not going to be flexible on. So this is—I don't think these these problems are going to go away. I do think we have more reasonable administration in the Biden administration, and so I think there's there's just a very different—not just tone, but I also think ability to understand what China will give on and what China will not give on. And so I think you have the potential of. More, not just collaboration. I think that's being trite. I think you have the possibility for、uh, actual bilateral conversation, where both countries can speak their concerns clearly and be heard, and then possibly imagine what a what a future state compromise would look like. And I think in the Trump administration, you didn't have that. At the end of the day, people like Pompeo, people like Navarro, 
are not interested in compromise with China. It was going to have to be entirely the American way or not. And I do think the Biden administration will, will be a step in a better direction in terms of trying to find a middle ground. Mm. Well, Ben, I have two more questions before letting you go. Now, just around this economic factor, I want to jump into immigration. And of course, I used to live in America over 13 years. And um, as an, an immigrant or a former immigrant living in the U.S., I really appreciate the opportunities. And of course, the richness, you know, in this diversity was able to build friendship across the globe just within this one country. However, under Trump administration, that was not the case. And he was not very happy in terms of this immigration policy. So that's why we have this debate and we have this uh, uh, conflict um, from both sides back and forth, like a ping pong, ping pong game. Now, we all know that immigration Actually, um, the immigrants brought a lot more to this country in terms of making contributions and generate economic um, incentive to the American people. How do you think that Joe Biden is going to handle the immigration policy or the immigrants um, at this moment um, in terms of actually uh, allow people to, to understand this is still the land of opportunities and if you work hard and you should deserve what you have well i think i think you'll see the biden administration broadly issue a set of executive orders that will uh take the executive orders that the trump administration put in place around immigration and reverse those um, i think that's fine um you know in the united states the american form of government you know executive orders are supposed to be a matter of last resort so the question on immigration is Will the U.S. Congress, the House and the Senate, will they actually come together on a piece of immigration legislation to try and solve the problem? And and I think that still is a question. You know, right now the the United States political system is is engineered in a way where it's actually better for people to be against someone else's attempt to solve a problem than it is to actually solve the problem itself. And so when you look at something like immigration, which is a longstanding problem in the American political system, you know, you have people who make an attempt to solve the problem. They put legislation forward and other people who shoot it down, not because the attempt to reform is actually bad, just because it's it's in their interests to appear tough on immigration. And so the, the net of that is you never get any sort of actual structural reform on issues like immigration. So, you know, I, I think in the very short term, you'll see the Biden administration use the same sort of attempts through executive orders. That will be a mirror image to what the Trump administration did. The Trump administration's attempts to, to deal with this were also through executive orders. And that was a mirror image to what the Obama administration did, mm. which was also trying to deal with this through executive orders. And so you have this, to use your metaphor, we, you have this ping pong game that's getting played where... At the end of the day, the actual problem's not getting solved. Okay. Well, Ben, the last question I want to ask is, as you mentioned before, we have this ping pong game between United States and China. And now, regardless how this game is going to be played out in the year of 2021, and right now it's still too early to find out so much more regarding this policy and also the practical strategies that Joe Biden is going to play out. Now, the last last question I want to ask before letting you go, Ben, is 
under this Biden administration, do you think that Chinese people, or not only Chinese people, but citizens around the world, they're still able to say America is the place, or America will continue to be the place that we uh, we 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 idealize or uh, we, we idolize or something that we look forward to it. Because again, for the younger generations in China, they're still looking forward to having a good opportunity or having this uh, uh, ideal place really stretch themselves. Well, I mean, I love, I love hearing that that aspiration is still there and it's one I share. I mean, I, I, you know, obviously spent a lot of time in China. I've traveled the world very extensively, personally and professionally. I, you know, um, volunteered in Eastern Europe after the fall of the Soviet Union. And I, I've seen a, a number of nation states at various degrees of disrepair and of success. And, you know, there are advantages and disadvantages to a number of these countries' forms of government. At the end of the day, I, I would rather play America's cards than any other nation mm. uh, because I do think our system of government has built inside of it a capacity for self-reform that is unique. And it is a type of reform that is not predicated on you know a strong leader uh, who has to save us from ourselves. There is a, a form of government in the United States that I think is capable of healing and of resolving uh, long-standing grievances. Um, that system of government doesn't entirely get us above uh, our human nature. And so there are going to be moments of distemper and uh, tensions like the ones that we're living through right now in the United States. But at the end of the day, I do think that the American ideal um, is, is worth uh, not just fighting for, but holding up as being a profound expression of what it means to be a, a free person, uh, to express one's, one's freedoms in a responsible way. Um, I think right now, in many ways, we're coming short of that. But that's also an opportunity to remind ourselves of what it means to be an American, mm. of what these ideals, not just what these ideals are, but what it takes for those ideals to be a lived reality for an average American as opposed to just something we like to talk about and pretend is actually what defines our, our culture. Mm. Well, Ben Schobert is the author of the book entitled Blaming China. It might feel good, but it won't fix America's economy. Ben, thank you so much for being our show. Again, it's always a pleasure and enjoyable to talk to you. It's my pleasure. I wish everyone um, a good end to the year, and I'll look forward to hearing from you again. Absolutely. Thank you, Ben.